Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 19. 1 Samuel 19. So we've been watching Saul go bananas, basically. The kingdom's been ripped from him. His anger continues to fester. And he becomes a type of a religious persecutor of the anointed one. The anointed one, a type of the Messiah, is Yeshua, Jesus. And he is the true king. He is the anointed one. He is the man after God's own heart. And Saul has now fallen. And he's desperately trying to hang on. Instead of just going with God's plan, he's fighting God. And it may be something just for us to chew on because there's a connection between Saul's persecution of David and the persecution that Jesus suffered at the hands of the religious leaders that sometimes persecution comes from unexpected places. You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think that uh, maybe it would come from this tight of a circle, but it's really coming from his father-in-law. Uh, Jonathan loves him. Michal loves him. But Saul, who used to love David, now hates him. And he's been indirectly planning David's demise. He's been trying to use the Philistines. We saw that at the end of chapter 18. And he thought, well, if I put him in charge of the army, he'll fall at their hands and so forth. But nothing's been successful. And so now Saul is going to take a more direct tact. He's going to try to fight God. You see, we already know that Jesus... uh, Uh, David is a type of Jesus, and David is God's anointed. Jesus is the greater David. And Saul's going to try to fight God because he's going to try to fight God's choice of the anointed one. And that's what a lot of people are doing today. They're trying to fight Jesus. That is the biblical Jesus. There's a lot of people who will say they're cool with Jesus until you define who Jesus really is and what he really said. Uh, there's a lot of arguments about what Jesus uh, di- said and didn't say. But you know what? The whole Bible is really from Jesus because Jesus is God and Jesus is the Word of God and every Word of God is breathed out by God. And if Jesus is God, part of the triune God, then everything in the Bible is from Jesus. So you have to look at all 66 books. If you want to come to a conclusion about Jesus, look at the whole entire Bible. Well, Saul is trying to fight Jesus or trying to fight at least a type of Jesus who is David, and he's going to lose. And every time you try to fight God, you're going to lose one way or the other. It's a losing battle. But there's many people over the centuries who have tried it. Uh, Their record is pretty dismal. And there's going to be more that continue to try it. The best thing that you can do is get on board with what he wants for your life. Let's pray. Father, Thank you again for this time together on this Wednesday night as we get into 1 Samuel now. We just, once again, thank you for your majesty. Uh, Knowing you, as we sang about just at the end of that time of song, um, there's nothing greater. And uh, I pray that we would know you better when we leave this place and you'd apply, help us to apply what we have to learn tonight. Um, Make us more like you. And let us shed off and get rid of those things that so easily entangle us. We ask that you guide us by your Holy Spirit. Give us ears to hear and a heart to obey what you would say to your church in Jesus' name. Amen. Now Saul, this is 1 Samuel 19, 1. 
told Jonathan, his son, and all his servants to put David to death. But Jonathan, Saul's son, greatly delighted. The word delighted in Hebrew speaks of laughter and enjoyment. He delighted in David. Now Saul is no longer hiding his intention. He's no longer trying to do things indirectly. He says, I want David dead. He announces it to his men, his servants, and to his son. He wants to take David out. And Saul has come to fear David. And his, his fear is driving him. And when fear drives you, you're in trouble. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of what? Power, love, and a sound mind. But Saul is not in his sound mind. In fact, an evil spirit from the Lord, the Lord has allowed this to occur because of Saul's disobedience and because of Saul rejecting God's ways. And Saul is now not in his sound mind. And everything he's doing now is being driven as he uh, opposes the anointed one. In Acts chapter 4, after the apostles are warned not to preach anymore in Jesus' name, they have a prayer meeting and they pray, By the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, Acts 4.25, Thy servant, thou didst say, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand. And the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. He says later in the prayer, to do whatever your hand and your purpose had predestined to occur. And so God is always in control. And even when the anointed one was attacked by the religious leaders and they stirred the crowd to try to destroy him, still God's predestined plan occurred. You know, you could argue, well, yeah, Satan was behind the things and he was uh, possessing Judas and he was stirring the pot, but ultimately God's plan was fulfilled. And what you're going to see in this chapter is that although Saul tries to destroy the anointed one, he just simply can't. Every time he tries, he is thwarted because David's not going anywhere and Jesus isn't going anywhere. You can attack Jesus. You can try to say he's something other than what he actually is. You can try to put words in his mouth or remove words from his mouth, but you're not going to win. He's God's anointed one. And now Jonathan is faced with what we would call an internal collision. He's got to choose between his father and his friend. But David is more than just a friend of Jonathan's Jonathan has made a covenant with David. And you remember that we saw that Jonathan took off the royal attire and he gave David all the things of royalty. He said, you're the king. Even though I'm in line for the throne, you're the true king. I recognize that. And he gave, it, he gave David all of those royal things. He recognized that, G, that uh, David was a type of Jesus. And uh, at least that's my conjecture. You can see the imagery there. But he recognized he was the anointed one. That's the bigger point. And sometimes uh, we have to choose. We have you know, people who are close to us who are pressuring us. And they're saying, well, enough of this. Or I don't want you to do this anymore. And it relates to Jesus. And we have to decide between father and anointed one. You know, Sometimes that's what it comes down to. It's sad when it comes down to that, but sometimes there's people close to you in your life that will tell you, no, I want just the opposite. I don't want you to follow him. I want you to be rid of him. And you've got to decide who you're going to follow. 
And Jonathan, you know, he was the one who could benefit the most from David's death because if David was gone, then the throne would belong to Jonathan. But Jonathan wouldn't fight God. Saul's fighting God, and Jonathan's gotten a close-up look of what that looks like, and he doesn't want any part of that. Can you imagine watching your dad go psycho every day? You know? He's being oppressed by an evil spirit. And you're watching this, you know, close up. Some of you have gone through that. You've watched a person fight God their whole life, and it's ugly, man. It's ugly. And Jonathan's saying, no, I'm not going to do that. And what's interesting about Saul is uh, Jonathan has a, has a hint about his dad. He said earlier, my dad makes a bunch of poor decisions. I already know that. And uh, it's been confirmed. Uh, remember that uh, when he took the honey, remember Saul had made that uh, decree. Nobody's going to eat until my enemies are avenged. And Jonathan took a little honey on the end of his staff and uh, what did Saul say? My son should die for that. And it was the people that protected Jonathan. So Jonathan already kind of knew that things were not great with dad. I mean, if dad had had his way, Jonathan would already be gone. So, hmm, who are you going to choose? You good friend for, with which you've made a covenant. And you can see that even the idea of covenant, we are in a new covenant with Jesus Christ. We want to be faithful to him. We want to do what he says. Of course, uh, some people well-meaning perhaps in the church, make too big of a deal of that and think that, okay, if you follow Christ, then you've got to leave everything behind. No, you should try to win your family and friends to Christ, not try to drive them away from Jesus. Right? Your first and greatest uh, commitment is to him in that covenant. But you should try to win everybody around you. In fact, my first passion when I became a Christian, was not to depart from my family just because they weren't saved yet, but to win them for Christ. And by God's grace, that's happened. Just about every one of my family members, at least my close-knit family, have become Christians. I've had the privilege of leading several of them to the Lord. That's what we want to do. We don't want to repel people from Christ. We want to win them to Christ. But Jonathan's in a much more difficult position um, his position is, I want David dead. And Jonathan, if you don't mind, the implication is, could you carry out my plan? And Jonathan's like, no. So Jonathan told David, look at verse 2. David was uh, Jonathan's brother-in-law, and he said, Saul, my father, is seeking to put you to death. Now therefore, please be on guard in the morning and stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. If I find out anything, then I shall tell you. And I don't know if David was close with an earshot or if he might not pick up the whole conversation. We don't know for sure. But David was in hiding, and Jonathan's plan was, whatever my dad's plan is, I'll try to communicate it to you so you can protect yourself. Then Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father. He said to him, do not let the king sin against his servant David, since he has not sinned against you, verse 4, and since his deeds have been very beneficial to you. For he took his life in his hand and struck the Philistine, and the Lord brought about a great deliverance. The NIV says a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by putting David to death without a cause? 
In John 15, Jesus said, they hated me without a cause. Jesus, who emerges from the shadows of David, was the anointed one, the greater David, and they hated him without a cause. In fact, all he ever did was go around doing good. He healed the blind. He unstopped the ears of the deaf. He delivered people from demonic possession. He spoke truth like no man ever spoke it. He raised Lazarus from the dead. And what did they want to do for those great deeds? Kill him. And they, that is, all those who decided to come against the anointed one, they killed innocent blood. Even Judas in Matthew 27, when he knew that Jesus had become condemned through the money that he had gotten from that betrayal and said, I have betrayed, remember, innocent blood. And they said, here's what the devil does to people. They said, that's your responsibility. That's not our problem, that's yours. And Judas went out and hung himself. Tragic. He knew. Yet, we know in the case of Judas that he was being influenced by Satan. And Saul, in some way, is being influenced by evil. And so he continues to have this hatred, but his son is trying to speak reason to him. He's saying, Dad, think about what you're doing here. Why would you kill a man who put his life on the line for the nation? He brought salvation to us. That giant was out there mocking us, that uncircumcised Philistine, for 40 days. Nobody wanted to take him on. And who stepped forward? The anointed one, David. And he killed the giant and he brought deliverance to our nation. Think about this, man. When you're going mad with this evil spirit that troubles you, who comes in and plays the soothing music so that the spirit departs from you? His name? David. So before you do anything, Dad, please think about what you're doing. Because if you do this, you will sin against innocent blood. Now, in one sense, you could say, uh, this is an Old Testament version of Matthew 18. If your brother sins, go to him and speak to him in private, right? And try to win him over. Now, hopefully none of you have somebody in your life who's thinking about doing something so rash and tragic. But Jonathan does a wise thing. First, he goes to his dad and he says, look, dad. You can't do this. You need to think about who this man is. And if you do this, his blood will be on your hands. You're going to be guilty before God. Manasseh, in 2 Kings, uh, write this down, 21, 6 and 16, and 24, 4, was judged by God for shedding innocent blood. Now, in one sense, you might be thinking, well, is there such a thing as innocent blood? I mean, David said he was a sinner. I mean, in Psalm 51, he made that clear. As born in sin. Yeah, we're all born in sin in that sense. We inherit the sin nature of Adam. But there's still such a thing as shedding innocent blood. And in the case of Manasseh, please hear this well, Manasseh allowed his son to pass through the fire. In an ancient ceremony to a pagan god, he allowed his child to die in a terrible, fiery sacrifice to appease the god Molech, or a god of that stripe. 
And God said, for that, because you shed innocent blood, you are accountable to me. Now praise God for his forgiveness, amen? Praise God that you know the blood of Jesus can even deal with innocent blood that we have shed. I mean, so many people over the years have taken refuge in the blood of Jesus, and we do that as well. But the warning comes, before you do this, you better think about what you're doing, Dad. Because if you do this, you will shed innocent blood, and that blood will be on your hands. Deuteronomy 19.10 also warns about the shedding of innocent blood and talks about retribution. He says, look at verse 5 again. He took his life uh, in his hand and struck the Philistine. The Lord brought about a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and you rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood? Write down Deuteronomy 19.10 by putting David to death without a cause. And the son pleads with him, don't do this. You're going to sin. I know sin is a word that is going out of style. (laughs) But actually, Jonathan told his dad, if you do this, it will be a sin. What is sin? Well, in the basic sense, sin, harmatia in Greek, means to miss the mark. If you picture it, if you ever played darts or you've shot an arrow before, you can picture a bullseye. And the moment that you miss the bullseye, you are a sinner. That means you're imperfect. Join the club, right? Even James says, to him that knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. There are even sins of omission. It's not just what you do, it's what you fail to do. We've all sinned, we all fall short of the glory of God. But Jesus said to Pilate, the ones that turned me over to you have the greater Sin. All sin is sin in one sense, but all sin is not equal. And this sin was going to be a grave one. When you start sinning against the anointed one of God, when your attempt is to kill the one whom God says he's after my heart and he's going to sit on the throne, not good. So get this. In the Hebrew, um, in the Hebrew picture language, sin means the fence that surrounds strongly or the fence of the snake's strength. Um, this dictionary said, sin becomes its own prison that keeps you, keeps you from freedom and from doing what is right. I've given this to you before, but I want you to see it. The picture for sin in the Hebrew picture language is a person who builds a wall brick by brick around themselves until their sin ultimately becomes their prison. That's the Hebrew picture. So you put another brick on the wall, and another brick on the wall, and another brick on the wall, and you make another poor decision, and you sin against God, and all of a sudden, that, those sins become your prison. Now a lot of people say, I don't want to come to Christ because I want to be free to do what I want to do. I was witnessing to a guy at the gym, and that's what he told me. I don't want to become a Christian. I I like doing what I want to do. Okay? Until doing what you want to do, you think you're free, and then all of a sudden, that so-called freedom becomes your master. Paul says, I won't be mastered by anything. Nothing. I have one master. His name is Jesus. Now, how does the wall come down in a life? It comes down in humility. 
Any wall that you've built in your life can come down if you will just humble yourself before God, the wall will come down. God can destroy any wall that you've erected if you'll just humble yourself. The wall will come down. And so Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Isn't it cool when someone listens to you? (laughs) Although it was temporary. And Saul even vowed, look at verse 6, he said, as the Lord lives, he, David, shall not be put to death. You've won me over, son. Great argument. Well, we've all had that happen before, right? We make this great, passionate plea to somebody. Okay, here's my three-point sermon. Bam, bam, bam. You've got me. I'm convinced. And then you see him a couple days later. He's like, uh, what happened to that vow you made on Tuesday? Well, <laughs> Things have changed. 24 hours. That's why the Bible warns, don't make a rash vow. He took the the name of the Lord. He said something like this. Saul's vow would be something like, by the life of Yahweh. He didn't say on my mother's grave. He didn't say, say I swear by my children. He said, by the life of God Almighty, I will not put him to death, but... Saul will break that vow in the very chapter we're reading. And many people, I have to tell you, say, often, I swear. I know, it's tough. I swear to God. And Jesus said, don't even make any vows or oaths. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Look, if you're a trustworthy person, you don't have to cap what you say with a bunch of vows. All right, I'm really serious this time. Right? No, you'd be such a person of your word that if you say yes, nobody has to look for some extra 10 copies of a contract. (laughs) So Saul listened, but he didn't really listen. And Jonathan called David. And Jonathan told him all these words. And Jonathan brought David to Saul. Hey, everything's cool. Dad, dad's good. Uh, he, he's, he's heard me out. And he was in his presence as formerly. Cool, everything's good. All right, yeah, I'm coming back. Give me my guitar. What are we having for dinner? The relationship was sto- restored for the moment. And when there was war again, David went out and fought with the Philistines and defeated them with great slaughter so that they fled before him. Now, see the word when in verse 8. We don't know how much time has gone by, but when there was war again, so I wouldn't imagine too much time, but uh, there's a little time that's gone by, so things have returned to normal for a little bit. But when there was war again, David went out and fought with the Philistines, and he's won a great battle. But do you remember, this was part of the problem last time, because when he, when he slow, slew Goliath, this, remember the song, the hit song on the radio was, David has slain his... Ten thousands and Saul is thousands. How does it go? I don't know. Something like that. David had a bigger number. Saul didn't like it. And I think it's even true that uh, David's victory has probably fueled Saul's anger again because remember, it's envy and fear that is driving Saul. And there's no word that Saul's out to battle. Saul seems to be at home sulking about David and David's victories. When you get to a point where somebody else is fighting and you're at home sulking about the person who's actually fighting, you got to check yourself, man. And that's what the king's doing. He's not engaged in the war. And then when David wins, he gets mad. Now, 
There was an evil spirit from the Lord on Saul, verse 9. This will be the third time we've seen this. As he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand, <laughs> he's sharpening it, waiting to hear for <laughs> I know what's going to happen. If you come into the house and someone's holding a spear or a knife, <laughs> I want to think again. First Samuel 19, we see Saul bent on destroying David. And, you know, there's a reminder here that even though the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you mightily, 1 Samuel 16, 13, and you have a, a great friend like Jonathan who sharpens your life and you sharpen his and your fellow warriors on the battlefield, and you have a great victory by taking on and conquering Goliath, it doesn't mean that all the giants in your life are going to be gone. And for David, Saul was a continual thorn in his side. For many, many years, David was on the run from Saul and it had really nothing to do with David in terms of, you know, anything that he had done wrong. It was really Saul. But the Lord used these times in David's life as he ran from Saul to write many beautiful psalms and encourage us all with the fact that even though you're blessed by God, life is not going to be without its Saul's in your life. And so uh, we, we see here early in the chapter that Jonathan... Uh, attempts to protect David's life and yet um, Saul um, certainly goes after David in verse 10 Saul tried to pin David to the wall Uh, not a good thing obviously and uh, you know many many things uh, came David's way and I just want to tell you that you know if David's a man after God's own heart and he has to go through these things what makes us think that we won't you know God often uses the Saul's in our lives to sharpen and shape us and that happened for David and and there would be a time when David would take the throne and David would have his opportunities to take care of Saul and take him out but he didn't he he waited upon the Lord for the proper timing that's a challenge in all of our lives is to wait upon God's timing and to look to him for our answers and our solutions in life but that's one of the lessons here about great leadership in 1 Samuel is that David's a great leader because he depends on the Lord. You know, we often think that the greatest leaders are those who are so self-sufficient and self-starters, and God can use some of the natural tools that he gives us, but in the end, the greatest leaders are the ones that are being led by God, the ones that are being shaped by God, and the ones that are waiting and learning to wait upon the Lord. That's what made David great, and that's a great goal for this new year in 2017. I want to invite you to visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org to get more familiar with our church fellowship. If you live in the Inland Empire and don't have a church home, come and worship with us. We have a wonderful church family that meets here in the city of Corona. Our service times are 9th and 11.15 a.m. You can get more information about that at the website. That's livingtruthcorona.org. God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.